For those that don't know me, I'm the other Josh, um, if you're visiting today. So Pastor Josh, as we often refer to him, um, is is still away. Um, And as many of you know, you know, his mother passed away a few weeks ago. We had her memorial service last Sunday. Um, So I just want to take a a moment and, you know, I know Pastor Josh would probably do the same and has been doing the same, but just take a moment to thank um, so many people in this congregation um, for stepping up over the last month to preach, to serve, to organize, um, you know, the time of, of fellowship after the, the service last week, to get announcements out. Um, so the last time I had the, the privilege to be up here uh, was back on Father's Day last year. Um, didn't think I'd be up here this quickly again, because usually it's like several years in between my, my opportunity to preach, which is fine. Um, but, you know, we, we, we take the opportunities as God presents them, right? So um, last summer, I preached about armoring up in the 21st century, if you remember that. And I'm not going to go into that, but if you haven't had a chance, I just wanted to kind of throw out there, how's your armor, right? We've been through a lot of late, right? Been a lot, through a lot over the last two years. How's your armor doing? Right? I know it's something I have to continue to remind myself of as well. So just put a little plug in there for that. Um, so we started this year, if you recall, um, Pastor Josh had the plan to take us through the life of Jesus, starting with um, you know, his ministry at, at his baptism and working through until his eventual death and resurrection and ascension. And we went through a short three-part series entitled Jesus Begins, um, and again, all of these are on our website, so if you hadn't had a chance, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those three. And then his last sermon that he preached back at the end of January was uh, the start of a, what was going to be a four-part, four-part sermon series, and I, I'm assuming he's going to come back and, and get to the rest of that, but it was called A Better Way. And we were starting about the Sermon on the Mount, and so I will touch on that briefly later. But um, as I started preparing a few weeks ago, uh, Kelby and I, I think we're playing rock, paper, scissor over who was you know, giving the message today. Um, no, not really. But, you know, I, I look back and I was kind of like, you know what? It's, just, it's really hard, you know, this time of year to, to be taking time to prepare a sermon. It's, it's hard any time, right? I, I don't know how Josh does it every week. He gets up here and does a wonderful job preparing a sermon. But, you know, everything else that's going on, I was like, you know what? Let me go back and, you know, let me give the sermon I gave five years ago. In fact, you know, I looked at the date. I gave a, a sermon on March 12th of 2017, which is coming up on five years next Saturday, um, called Cornerstone or Capstone. Some of you might remember that. There's a lot of new people who have joined us over the last five years. Um, but basically, in that sermon, I talked about Christ as our cornerstone. And that when the trials of life come, you know, what are we going to have to fall back on? And certainly trials have come over the last few, few years, right? We can all say that. Um, and so, you know, hopefully, you know, Christ as our cornerstone has helped us to stand through all those trials. Um, but again, even though I wanted to kind of give that, and I was like, this will be easy, I can just kind of clean it up and, and, and preach it again. That's not what God really was calling me to talk about today. And I just felt, ta- I felt called to talk about waiting, <laughs> of all things. Waiting, you know. Um, and it was interesting that, you know, throughout the, the last several weeks, and really this past week, all the little nuggets that God has laid along the way. Um, my wife Karen had a couple devotionals. We, went a, we read a devotional this week as part of our morning routine, and it talked about waiting. And there was another one she read, I think, on Thursday, and she shared it with me. And there was a, a new song that she heard that was talking about waiting. So I was just like, all right, God, I guess this is where you want me to go. You want me to talk about waiting. So, you know, as, as we think about waiting, I almost feel like a comedian. Like, what's the deal with waiting, right? Like, what's the deal with waiting? You know, it, it's not something we like to do, is it? Right? It's not easy. 
you know, you think about some simple things like, um, you know, our favorite TV show, right? Got to wait for that new TV show to come out on, on television. Now, nowadays, it's not like when I was growing up, we had to wait week after week for that favorite sitcom. You know, nowadays, you get Netflix, you get, you know, all the, the shows jumped right there. You get to binge watch them, and that's it. I, you know, that's maybe why I like the Disney, the Star Wars series, and the Marvel series. I can actually wait a week, which is interesting. But we got to wait for those, right? How about waiting on the Eagles' next Super Bowl? Mark, what do you think? I hope it's not as long a wait as it was last time, right? Hopefully not, right? That was, that was too long a wait. But, you know, we, we're certainly waiting on that still. How about those of us that, you know, are waiting maybe to, to be married? Or we're married and we're waiting to start a family. You know, we're, we're feeling called to have children and maybe we can't right now. It's hard. It's hard to wait. Maybe you're waiting on a new job or a change in job. Maybe you're waiting for the healing of yourself or a, or a loved one. And look, that list could go on and on, right? So what does is, what is the world around us talk about with waiting? Is the message out there, well, I'll just be patient. Is that what the message is? No. The message out there is, you know, take it into your own hands, right? We are inundated. We are inundated by media and social media and everything else that kind of says, you owe this to yourself. You deserve that new phone. You deserve that new car, that new house, right? That new relationship, whatever it is. We're told each and every day. That's, that's, that's the, the message we're getting constantly. That's the message our children are getting constantly. You deserve it. Go out and get it. Don't wait upon it. And I think many of us would, would agree that these things don't bring us true satisfaction. Right? In mo- mo- moments, you know, grabbing that new phone. Oh, I've got that new phone. Awesome. But how long until your friend has the new phone? Or the new house? Or the new car? Or the new fill-in-the-blank? And your new thing isn't so new anymore. And now you're struggling with, ooh, i got to have that new thing. It's hard to wait. For me personally, it's been a challenge, you know, because I've, I've seen this probably in the area of, of my profession. You know, I'm an educator. I've been in education for 20 years. And so it's been hard for me as I wait upon, you know, God moving me into what I think I'd like to do. Sometimes, I'll be honest if I have to say it, sometimes I feel like it's what I deserve I should be able to do, right? I deserve that job. I deserve this. That's what I think. So it's been hard to wait and let God lead. But it hasn't been God's plan. And as hard as it is to accept sometimes, you know, I have been able to kind of move past those moments of rejection and, and kind of step back and go, okay, God, there's a reason that, you know, you're calling me to wait. It's not easy, but I know you're calling me to wait. So how many of you out there have, the, have, have those same frustrations? I saw some head shaking. You know, some smiles. You know, I mean, you know, I was kind of joking around about some of that stuff, but I think it's a struggle that we all face, having to wait. How many, has, how many of you have tried to take control of your own circumstances? The real question we should be focused on is, what does God want for me? And do you believe that God has a perfect plan for you? And are, more importantly, are you willing to wait upon His timing for that perfect plan to be revealed? And let me just make a promise right now because I can't promise you that his plan is going to be what you want. Right? 
not oftentimes not what we want, but what he wants. So why do we feel like we know better than God? Or let me put it another way. Why do we believe we are really in control of our lives? Because we're not. That's a whole other sermon about free will and everything else, but we won't get into that. So, although it's easy to really feel like we're the only ones failing in this area, um, we're not. <laughs> and if you go back through history, history is riddled, riddled with people, societies, men, women, whatever, right? Who have not waited and have tried to seize the day and have failed, right? In fact, you know, the Bible is chock full of them as well. And so, you know, in, in looking through this, I, you know, I went back and tried to find a few examples for us of, of men and women who have tried to supplant God's sovereignty and trying to control their own destiny. So let's take a look at a few examples. And I'm not going to have you turn there. Um, but going all the way back to Genesis, right? Genesis. And I think, oh, there he is, Abraham. Or Abram, as he once was known, right? One of our patriarchs, right there in our window. So this is from Genesis 17, verses 4 through 6. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. And in particular, one eventual king, right? Jesus Christ. That was foreshadowing. So I think a lot of us know that story. If you grew up in the church, and even if you didn't, you kind of know the general story of Abraham, right? So Abraham's told, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he's waiting. And does it happen? Well, not right away. Because his wife, Sarai at the time, kind of says, this thing ain't happening. Like, I don't know what God's telling you, but it ain't happening. So like, hey, look, there's my, there's my maidservant. Let's, ha- let's have a family through her. And of course, hey, okay, <laughs> right? Abram goes and you know, Ishmael. That's not what God's plan was. <laughs> not waiting. So now Ishmael's there. God comes back. I'm going to make you the father of nations. And not through Ishmael. Through Isaac. I, I was shocked. I never really realized how long this was. Does anybody really know how long this was? Any quick guesses? 40 days, 40 nights? Yeah, that was... No. Not quite. So Abraham, Abram, as he was known at the time, was 76 years old when he was first told in Genesis 12, or at least the first record I could find, in Genesis 12 where he was told that you will be the father of many nations. 76 years old, first of all. Like, I know they lived a whole lot longer back then. But 76 years old, like, I think I'm going to have, hopefully, maybe have grandchildren by the time I'm 76 years old. Not ready to start a family. So from that point, it's about 10 years. 10 years! Until Sarai says, you know what? <laughs> this waiting thing's long enough. All right? And that's when he conceives and they have Ishmael. Ten years. But that's not the end. Because now when Ishmael is 13 years old, so 13 years have passed, and now God comes back and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now we're talking up to 23 years. Okay? And now Sarah does conceive. Because now we're back into Genesis 17, which I just read a few minutes ago. Now she does conceive. And now... Going through the process of having a baby, it takes almost a year. It was almost 25 years from the time that he was given that promise 
until the time that God fulfilled that promise. Not Abram's or Abraham's timing, God's timing. A lot happens in 25 years. I mean, it's been 25 years since I graduated from high school this year, for goodness sakes. I haven't even been married for 25 years, right? You know, I mean, 25 years ago, geez, like, computers and things were huge. Cell phones, I think, were like flip phones. You still had to hold them up here. Like, just crazy, right? A lot happens in 25 years, but we don't think of it like that. Plus, there was a, lot, a whole lot of mess that was made along the way. And there's, again, another story. Man, it's, it, you, you look back, you think we're failures, like, just... If you ever want to think that you're a failure and the only one, just keep reading through the Bible. Like, again, failure after failure after failure, but again, God's grace, God's sovereignty, God's love. So fast forward a little bit. So we know that Abram has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob and Esau, and Jacob steals his brother's birthright. There's another great one, right? And then Jacob has a bunch of children through multiple wives, and one of them being Joseph, right? So this is a little bit different story because, you know, we looked at Abraham who kind of doesn't wait on God. But here's Joseph, Genesis 37, 5 through 8. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He was already beloved by his father, first of all. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf, mine, rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Go through that story. Again, a lot of us know that story. What do they do? They want to kill their brother, first of all. And then one of the brothers, I forget who, Benjamin or somebody, says, no, let's not kill him. So they throw him into a pit. They sell him off to slavery. He goes down to Egypt. He's in slavery. God raises him up, right? But not initially. God puts him in the house of Potiphar, who's an influential official in the, in the, area, in the uh, country of Egypt. And he's thriving there until Potiphar's wife decides, hey, you know what, like, come on, let's, let's have an affair. And, and Joseph runs from that. And so she frames him, and he's thrown into prison now. He's in prison for a while. And the cupbearer and the baker, I think the story goes, come, and they're thrown into prison, and, you know, they're, they're basically about to be executed by the king. Joseph helps them out. One of them is executed, I believe, the baker. The cupbearer gets to go back to the king and says to Joseph, hey, I promise I'm going to let Pharaoh know what you did for me. But just like that, he's on his own way and he's forgotten. Joseph is sitting in jail for two more years until Pharaoh has a dream that he can't interpret. So Joseph is, you know, the cupbearer suddenly remembers, oh yeah, there's this guy, I remember him. Go find him in jail. Comes out. You know, interprets the dream, tells Pharaoh, hey, look, you're going to have seven years of abundance and greatness, and you've got to take care of that because then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh then raises him up and gives him basically second in command of all of Egypt. But again, you look at that, it took close to 20 years. Joseph was about 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. And from the time that he was sold into slavery and spent time in Potiphar's house and spent time in jail, and then the seven years of plenty when he was in, in power, it was... 20 plus years until finally his brothers came down to Egypt searching out food, right? And he did kind of rule over them, so to speak, but not in the way that they probably thought back in the day. He actually was able to take care of them, take, take care of God's nation of Israel, right? Bring them in to, to Egypt and care for them. But as we know, you know, they rose up and the Egyptians started looking around and go, hey, this is like free labor here. So they enslave them. So again, I could go over countless more examples. 
right? The, Egypt, the, the, the Israelites waiting to be freed. The Israelites, when they are freed, wandering in the desert. You know, they get, to the, they get to Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up on the mountainside, and he's up there for quite a bit of time. And again, not, not long after that, so they, they go, look around. Hey, Aaron, like, can we get a calf here? Like, we need something to bow down to. Like, what is it with humanity? We just can't wait, right? I mean, it's, it's crazy. It really is. But there are so many, so many examples. Um, as I mentioned, you know, a little earlier, Pastor Josh has started 2022 with a message series, A Better Way, and that was his plan, to work through Jesus' ministry. So I wanted to kind of look at one specific example, and that's the one that Bob, you know, read for us today. Um, so if you don't mind, turn with me to John 11, and I'm going to read a bit more than what, you know, Bob read this morning. And interestingly, here's another nugget of information. If you were here last week for Cindy Lou's memorial service, this was the passage read um, at her service. I just, I, I, Karen and I sat in the back and just looked at each other like, all right, all right, God, this is what you're calling us to, to talk about. So John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who had poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Okay. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, while well, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Skipping down a little bit, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection. At the last day, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Skipping down a few more verses to 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews would come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. 
But some of them said, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out and his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. But why did he wait? I mean, clearly, clearly we know that this was a man he loved, right? I mean, verse 5, he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Verse 35, Jesus wept. I mean, we don't normally just weep for no reason, right? I mean, this was someone he loved. He was moved to the point of sadness, even though he knew, I can raise this person from the dead. And maybe he knew at that point, I'm going to raise this person from the dead. He still wept. So Jesus loved this man. So again, why? Why wait? It's about a day's journey from Bethany. So as I was kind of, again, doing a little research, you know, when they found out Lazarus was sick and they sent their servants to go find Jesus, it would have taken a day to go find Jesus. Which means it would have taken another day for him if he had immediately just dropped what he was doing and, and returned. Still would have been two days. And we're told that he was already in the tomb for four days. I think it's safe to assume that pretty shortly after he sent the, they sent the messengers, Lazarus did pass. But Jesus, even upon hearing the messengers, didn't immediately stop what he was doing and pray. I mean, we have examples in the Bible of, you know, I forget if it's the rich young man or someone coming and saying, you know, my son, my child is sick. And, and, and Jesus healing that child from afar. Right? By the time the person got home, he found out this child was healed. Jesus didn't go to them. So Jesus, where he was, could have been like, all right, Lord, like, hey, thank you. Like, can you heal Lazarus? That's not why he did it, though. He knew that raising Lazarus from the dead would demonstrate the glory of God more than just merely healing him. He also knew God's ultimate plan. God's ultimate plan resulting in his eventual sacrifice and death. And he knew that this was a pretty monumental miracle that needed to take place. Because although he, you know, people, the Pharisees and others were starting to kind of get annoyed. They weren't to the point yet where they kind of were like, we need to kill him. And I didn't read it, but if, you know, I'll just read it quickly. We jump to, you know, verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. This is speaking of the Pharisees. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Jesus knew what was coming. And yet he waited. He waited. He could have healed him. Could have avoided this. And yet he waited. He knew God the Father had a plan. God's plan was greater than raising an ordinary man from the dead.
know, he was pointing not only to his miracles, but he was also pointing to his resurrection eventually. He was looking ahead. He was trying to train his disciples. Right? They, again, didn't quite get the message. Oh, he's sleeping, Lord. No, he's dead. <laughs> he is dead. And they just didn't understand that. But he's trying to teach them because he knew in a very short time he would be gone and they would be left. And they would be the ones to carry out his message to generation after generation to us at this, at this point. And that's where we're called to then carry that message. So what are you trying to wrestle away from God? How are you trying to take control of your own life and not submitting to His will and His plan for your life? As we saw, Abraham waited over 25 years. 25 years to see God's promise fulfilled. Joseph waited over 20 years. As challenging as it is, when you're facing tough choices, I encourage you to make sure that you're prayerfully seeking out what God's direction is. Talk to others as well. Don't just pray, talk to others. It's okay to be discouraged and disappointed. But it's, it's what we do with that discouragement and disappointment. It's how God tests us and refines us. Are we yelling at God? Are we railing against Him and blaming Him? It's not doing it in your time. It's not happening fast enough, Lord. Are we trying to take matters in our own hands? Bill Coble, who was here last week, talked about how God ruined his life, as he said. Ruined his life. And I think we all caught on that God, God changed his life. Bill had a plan that he wanted to see carried out for himself. Bill wanted this or that or whatever it was. But God ruined that life by saying, no, I'm calling you to go serve in Kenya. Are we willing to let God ruin our lives? <clears throat> in Pastor Josh's sermon from January 30th, he talked about how everything starts in our heart. Everything starts in our heart. Jesus cares deeply about our heart health. A healthy heart produces a healthy life. I think I would add to that, just a healthy heart produces a healthy life that is patiently seeking how God is calling us to love and serve our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, and on and on and on. For me, as I said, you know, it's been a challenge, but I've learned to rest upon how God is using me each and every day in my area, in my profession, right? If it were up to me, this isn't where I'd be. I'd be doing something else. I'd be somewhere else in my profession, but thankfully, it's not up to me. It's up to Him. Because I, I know, like, I, and I've, I've had conversations with my wife and other people about this, that it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle in so many areas for the last two years. And for those, you know, I know there's many in here that are involved in education, teachers and, you know, administrators and, and, and different areas. You know, every area has been affected by this pandemic. It has. But 
those are in education, and unless you're in education, you haven't seen how much it has impacted you know, our children and our teachers and our administrators. It's been a huge challenge. And so, you know, I can look at our school administrators and I know how many unique challenges they have faced each and every day. Sometimes multiple times in a day. Right? And so as much as I'd love to have been in those positions, I know that God has granted me the, that I didn't have to deal with some of that. <laughs> That's tough. And so... You know, I want to make sure that we're thanking our teachers, thanking our administrators for all the work that they've put in. In my current role where I am, um, even though it's been tough, I've had unique opportunities to strengthen my relationships with the students that I've had a chance to work with. I get to speak words of encouragement to them and support and to push them forward. And I'm happy to say in a couple months, most of them will be graduating, which will be really cool. So I'm excited for that, right? So I can look back and I can be grateful that I've continued to be able to hone my skills while not having those heavy burdens laid upon me. Because not only that, it, it impacts our, our families. It's more time away. There's been times where those people have had to spend more time creating plans and other things. And they haven't had as much time for their family. That's tough. And we know that. So you know what? God has a plan for me and my family, just like he has a plan for all of you. And if it takes him 25 years to unveil that plan, I'll probably be retired at that point, but that's all right. You know, then I'll wait upon that plan, and I'm willing to wait upon that plan. Because, as we've seen, he has a perfect plan for each and every one of us. You know, interestingly, even though we talked earlier about how the Israelites were waiting for their Messiah, many Jews are still waiting for that Messiah. Right? They, don't, they didn't realize, they're, they're, they're not aware, they don't believe that Christ has come. We know that Christ has come. And so we're waiting still. But we are waiting on, upon his eventual return. And that's what I, I look forward to. Because when he comes to take us home, we get to go to heaven with him and celebrate and rejoice. And all those wonderful songs we sing each, each Sunday, we get to just sing them endlessly, right? Sing a shout of praise every day. So as I finish, you know, just a couple things for you. A um, little homework for you as, a, as, a, as an educator. A little homework for you. Um, so that song I told you that my, my wife heard. So Elevation Worship, um, Google it, Elevation Worship, it's Wait on Him. Great song. Just listen to that. You know, it ties in today. And if you'll allow me, this was the, um, this was the devotional that uh, Karen and I read this past week on March 2nd. It's from Paul Tripp's... Um, devotional book called New, New Morning Mercies. Waiting on God is not at all like the meaningless waiting that you do at a dentist office. You know he's overbooked, so you're still sitting there more than an hour past your scheduled appointment. You're a man, but you're now reading Family Circle magazine, and you've begun to, to read the article titled, The Seven Best Chicken Recipes in the World. And when you're a man and you're getting ready to tear a chicken recipe out of Family Circle magazine because the recipe sounds so good, you know you've been waiting too long. <laughs> However, waiting on God is not like that. Waiting on God is an active life based on confidence in His presence and promises, not a passive existence haunted by occasional doubt. Waiting on God isn't internal torment that results in paralysis. No. Waiting on God is internal rest that results in courageous action. Waiting 
is your calling. Waiting is your blessing. Every one of God's children has been chosen to wait because every one of God's children lives between the already and the not yet. Already, this world has been broken by sin, but not yet has it been made new again. Already, Jesus has come, but not yet has He returned to take you home with Him forever. Already, your sin has been forgiven, but not yet have you been fully delivered from it. Already, Jesus reigns, but not yet has His final kingdom come. Already, sin has been defeated, but not yet has it been completely destroyed. Already, the Holy Spirit has been given, but not yet have you been perfectly formed into the likeness of Jesus. Already, God has given you His Word, but not yet has it totally transformed your life. Already, you have been given grace, but not yet has that grace finished its work. You see, we're all called to wait because we all live right smack dab in the middle of God's grand redemptive story. We all wait for the final end of the work that God has begun in and for us. But we don't just wait. We wait in hope. And what does hope in God look like? It's a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. We wait believing that what God has begun, He will complete. So we live with confidence and courage. We get up every morning and act upon what is to come. And because what is to come is sure, we know that our labor in God's name is never in vain. So we wait and act. We wait and work. We wait and fight. We wait and conquer. We wait and proclaim. We wait and run. We wait and sacrifice. We wait and give. We wait and worship. Waiting on God is an action based on confidence, assurance of grace to come. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you do in and through us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that when we're called to wait, that we will do so with a thankful heart. Lord, I pray that we will be patient as we wait upon how you are leading us, how you're directing us, how you're calling us. How are you calling us each and every day to the mission field where we work, where we live? How are you calling this church, Lord? How are you calling us to serve our local neighbors? Lord, as we continue to wait on you, help us to just continue to love one another as you have called us to love. In your name, amen.